Hello and welcome to the Daily Reprieve Podcast, where the sexaholic or sex addict can find experience, strength, and hope from those that have traveled this road ahead of us. This episode is produced in the spirit of the 12th step to carry the message to other sexaholics. Every effort has been made to remove full names of the speakers in these recordings. This is done in order to follow the 11th tradition regarding anonymity at the level of press, radio, television, and film. This podcast is self-supporting through contributions. If you enjoy listening to this podcast and would like to support The Daily Reprieve, please do so by going to GoFundMe.com, search for The Daily Reprieve, and click on Donate Now. Without further ado, please enjoy today's Daily Reprieve. Hi everyone, my name is Eric. I'm a grateful recovering sexaholic. And... uh, can you hear me? I am unmuted, right? Sorry. I am unmuted, right? Yeah, sorry. I got... I'm sorry. Um, one second. Sure. I, I hear you. All right. Um, I don't have your schedule in front of me. Yes, you are unmuted. We hear you. And you're talking, dealing with toxic shame. Um, yes. The floor is yours, and uh, um, we usually do recommend that you start with a prayer of your choice or not. It's up to you. It's great to see you. Okay, why don't we just start with the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept yeah. things yeah. that I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, to listen to know the difference. I will not mind be done. Well, uh, thank you for giving me the time to to, to put together uh, this this breakout on toxic shame. Uh, I listened to Mark's uh, breakout on shame. This is going to be a little different uh, in that we're going to uh, refer to a book that I that I use when I'm working the steps called uh, this book called Healing the Shame That Binds You. It's a, it's uh, Show it out again. It's uh, John Bradshaw's book. John Bradshaw was an alcoholic in recovery, and he hit his stride in the 1970s by popularizing a lot of the work that we now use and you now know uh, goes on with shame recovery or identifying shame. Uh, in Mark's breakout, he focused pretty much on inventories and prayer and meditation and taking actions individually. Um, I'm going to focus a little bit more on shame as a source of spirituality and how, and a little bit about my story to start. Uh, I'm 16 years sober and uh, on September the 20th, but I still have issues with shame. In fact, uh, well, most recently, uh, I began to delve into uh, these issues further because I, I had not uh, gotten that far. Uh, essay had brought me to a place of, of of showing me that I needed to to work on this stuff. I I've been a shame based person my whole life. Uh, I grew up in a shame based family, and I'll get into that. And I'll ch- and I hope to show you uh, why 
family systems are really important uh, in solving the trap that involves toxic shame. But anyway, first about my story, I, I just grew up believing that I was terminally flawed. And if there was something uh, that opened me up to ridicule in school, and that there was something that opened me up to uh, real uh, withering criticism by my, my father at home, my father was a uh, um, manic, uh, was a full-blown manic depressive and would, uh, had, was, uh, came from an extremely shame-based background. Uh, he grew up um, secular Jewish in Brooklyn, and his parents uh, were labor Zionists. He was an only child. Those are not reasons, but uh, he uh, inflicted a lot of shame on me that I'm uh, now coming to terms with. I, I, love my, I love my dad. He's, he passed away, but there are issues that we still have to resolve between him and me. And um, in, my, in my case, I just felt that I was, that there was something bad with me and I don't know where it came from, but this particular uh, entrapment of toxic shame has been with me my whole life. I, I grew up angry. I grew up uh, with issues uh, that would uh, lead me to act out with anger, lead me to act out sexually, to medicate myself with food, uh, with other things. And... Um, Often, you know, we talk about the inventories of fear and we talk about some of the other defects of character. In the big book, it says that fear is the evil corroding threat. I think it's the only time that the word evil is used. And I would put uh, shame pretty much close uh, right up there. I think shame and, uh, shame and fear are two defects that need no introduction for us. I think that in my experience and working with hundreds of sexaholics, I don't think I've met anyone, anyone who doesn't have shame issues, whether they uh, came from family of origin, whether they were, uh, they were self-imposed, came as a result of abuse, whatever. Uh, this is just something that, that is the white elephant in the room for a lot of us. And I've attended shame workshops and conventions, Bernadette in particular, uh, as I mentioned, I just uh, attended Mark's, uh, Mark's uh, workshop where he gave some insights. So shame, the difference between shame and guilt, um, to me, there's a difference. And there's a difference between a toxic shame and healthy shame. But for the sake of our conversation, we're going to talk about guilt and toxic shame. <clears throat> toxic shame is I am all alone. I can't get out of this. And this is going to be the way it is. And I feel sad and, and or depressed all the time. Um, that it, those are the feelings of toxic shame. Toxic shame has to do with not being able to forgive oneself. I know this because in my, in my uh, self-talk, you know, what Bradshaw talks about, self-talk. And by the way, I've used this book many, many, for many years to dovetail uh, with the steps. 
It is not conference approved, but he was written by an alcoholic who had a deep understanding of, of our disease. So, um, but I just couldn't forgive myself. I, 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 pro I progressed in recovery for many years. I was sober for many years, but I still had issues with shame. My father used to tell me when I was growing up that I was mental, um, that I was an idiot, that I was, uh, it was okay to be uh, sociopathic, but not psychopathic. That um, what he was doing to me was uh, dealing with his own shame and inflicting it on me. Now, as a child, of course, I didn't have the means to, to, to say, well, you know, you really ought not be doing this. And I think you're exercising some very poor judgment and you need to seek psychological counseling. Child, child doesn't have those words. Um, so I couldn't. And, you know, a child uh, needs to obey the powers in a family, otherwise risk annihilation. My dad was a very large guy. Uh, he was not a physically abusive person. He was early on, but my mom put a stop to that by the time my brother was two. Um, but he was extremely verbally abusive. Now, my dad was a complicated guy, like I said, and I love him. But I also see myself. I see these imprints in me. I can be very um, uh, verbally abusive. I have uh, done this to my daughter and my wife in recovery while sober. So where does this come from and how, how do you stop it? Right. So you have to understand or, or the, the understanding is that there is a problem here. This is, there's a problem that is being, that is not being addressed. And it can only be addressed for me, for me talking about me, uh, by acknowledging the particular problem. In, in Step into Action, on page 137, so you'll find the text here. It says, I couldn't forgive myself. The shameful feelings from the things I have done were still overwhelming. My memory still haunted me. My perceptions of myself were still negative, even after 15 years of sobriety. So that says something about my, my story. Now, I have, um, I have integrity, and I do love myself. Uh, it's not that I, I really have an extremely negative self-image of myself. I used to before recovery. So I'm going to talk a little bit about how I, how I came back or how I recovered or however but I think it's important to understand that, that, that shame is inflicted in a family system where shame is, is you know, the, the action du jour. This is how we run. We shame each other. And because we shame each other, uh, it could be from verbal abuse. It could be from sexual abuse. It could be from physical abuse. It could be from all sorts of things. This is what we learn. These are imprinted. Uh, the White Book talks about uh, understanding the heart and the mind of the sexaholic, as does the Big Book. Um, the Big Book also uh, recommends doing inventories, as does the White Book. Um, we're going to delve in a little bit further and see how we could, we could use some of these tools 
in concert with steps four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 through 12. But what I just read was the shameful feelings from things I have done. This is from step in action, right? So when I've acted out, it's just shame on top of shame. I felt empty and alone, and that's why I acted out. And now I feel like killing myself because I've acted out. So it's double shame, right? Uh, it's insidious. So when I started working with Bradshaw in this book, I started to look at, at shame as a, as a toxic thing. In other words, it is toxic. It is not something I was born with. It was something that was foisted on me as I grew up. And therefore, I have to get rid of this toxin, this spiritual toxin, whatever you want to call it. You might have your own terms for it. So I happen to believe that, that there's a spiritual transference that happens when, I'm, when, I'm, when I am being shamed. I'm taking on that, the shame of that which I'm, uh, I, I am receiving. And that's wrong, whether it comes from a parent, whether it comes from someone else, whether it comes from anybody. And um, everything okay? All right. Okay, Eric seems to have some. We're having some problems with the mic. First of all, can you unmute him there, Sway? Okay, I am unmuted. Uh, we we had to. Eric, 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 just turn back on your camera. Thank you. All right, I need to. You need to restart the camera because mine. Or maybe I'll just do it. The co-host has asked you to start video. Okay. All right. I'm going to need to take a, take a, a moment here and just um, had some uh, anger because my wife was, uh, was uh, just scanning some documents while I was talking to you. And usually I use this room as a sacrosanct place. So uh, I felt my boundaries were violated. Um, but there it is. So we were talking about shame as a source of spirituality, right? Um, when toxic shame, you are an idiot, you are mental, there's something wrong with you is foisted upon. That's a spiritual, it's not just, it's not just something that uh, we get to try to, to defend against. If it happens enough times, you start to believe it. And it becomes a toxin. Uh, Scott Peck describes K 
character disorders, and disorders of responsibility. All of us have a smattering of neurotic and character disordered personality traits. The major problem in all of our lives is to decide and clarify our responsibilities. To be truly committed to a life of honesty, love, and discipline, we must be willing to commit ourselves to reality. So shame is not reality. Shame is has been given or foisted by someone who is, um, in the case of my dad, someone who is, uh, who had a mental illness. And uh, I'm talking clinically here. Uh, but of course, I didn't have those words. I couldn't have those thoughts when I was when I was a child. I just identified myself as uh, shame based. Okay, so what is the difference between shame and shame and guilt? I look at guilt as regret. <coughs> so I didn't buy Apple stock in the 1980s. That's a that's a regret. Um, I'm guilty. Okay, I should have bought it. Right. Okay. So that's 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 a very that's a very uh, benign reaction. Okay. Um, I ate an entire package of uh, Hershey's chocolates. Okay. That I'm guilty about that. That's a regret. At the time when I made that decision, it seemed like it was the right decision. Okay. Only later do I understand that it that it was not the right decision. That's, that's like healthy, okay, I understand that was wrong, I won't do it again, okay. Um, toxic shame is I am an irredeemably undeserving of love from others or self. I am condemned by my flaws. I cannot escape my flaws. I am no good. So where does this toxic shame come from? Um, it comes from family systems where, like I said, there has been shame. It comes from, uh, it comes from acting out. It comes from all sorts of places. It, there's many ways that where you, where you can get a hold of information as it applies to your life. I'm not going to get into to that, but I can talk about what, what it means to me. Um, it's a problem. I mean, it's, it is a, it has, it has followed me my entire life. And because I've begun to understand it as a to, as toxic, I begin to understand that um, as a child, I started to identify with my shame-based parents. As a parent, I tried really hard to not continue that shame-based behavior with my daughter, but it only goes so far because I was, acting out with emotion that had been really deep, deeply rooted in me and behaviors and beliefs that have been really deeply rooted. And because my daughter has a habit of pushing my buttons, I would get angry or I would say things that I regret. Okay. So not, it's not about parent bashing, but I have to identify where this comes from. Um, and working with sponsees and working with others, I believe that I begin to, to be more, more very attuned to where this shame comes from in someone's life. Parents left. I was, I felt abandoned. I felt, I felt alienated. I needed to do something. I wanted to be my own higher power. Essay hints at this. It's, it speaks of it. So how do you, 
come back to the sense of healing, of, of healthfulness. That's the purpose of this, you know, our program. That's the purpose of this program for me is uh, not just to carry the message to others, but first to figure out what the heck I'm, I'm, I really am, what I'm here for, you know, who I really am and not live with any kind of false, um, false identity or shame-based identity. Eric Erickson uh, defines identity as interpersonal. He writes, the sense of ego identity is the accrued confidence that the inner sameness and continuity are matched with sameness and continuity of one's meaning for others. So what does that mean? It comes from a book called Childhood in Society. I had to have somebody uh, mirroring the shame of, you know, in my case, my parent, for me to have it. It had to come from someplace. But knowing that means that I can now see it came from some external place. It's not mine. So if you've ever if you've ever had or thought or wondered or examined like where does your shame come from? Um, in my life, I had to just sit there and say, okay, you know, it's not mine. No, no, this this didn't come from me, and therefore I have to give it back. But, you know, I'm 62 years old, and it's taken me a long time to get there. Um, when I was in my addiction, I had one foot in normal and the other foot in crazy. I thought it was just because I was, I had a problem, a problem of, you know, because I would just, you know, act out sexually. Uh, it's taken me a long time to, to peel the layers of the onion to go underneath the craving, underneath all the stuff, to, to really identify that at the very base, there's a shame-based child. And that child needs love and that child needs attention. And um, this is going to manifest differently for you as it, as it would for me. So, but I really think that this is a universal message. There's a feeling of neglect. Um, I can remember uh, one time with my dad, he was a route salesman in Brooklyn and he took me on a route one day and he left me on the side of the Belt Parkway to change a tire. I was nine years, maybe nine or eight years old. He let me, he left me in the car while he just took the tire and hitched a ride to get it fixed. And here I was a terrified child. I was sitting on, I was sitting in a car on illegally parked on the berm. So being terrified and angry and not being able to express my terror or anger to my father who, who returns, okay, so he returns the hero because he fixed the tire and now he puts the tire on and we don't talk about any of my emotions. That's a formative moment. That tells me that, oh, you know, what I feel is not important. So that, that whole driving thing, and, and feel free, you know, to do your own research and, and you know, your own reading into this. Um, the shame binding of feelings, needs, and, and natural instinctive drives is the key factor to changing, in changing healthy shame into toxic shame. The feeling that it was my fault, the feeling that I am to blame, the feeling that for whatever the reason is, that... Um, 
I am the scapegoat. I became the family scapegoat. Uh, I work with people who were not allowed to express anger in their family. So if the shame is in, it becomes internalized, like I've been talking about, so nothing about me is okay. I can't allow you to get close to me because you will find out how unlovable I am and I can't bear that. So I can't have a relationship. So the only way that I can express myself is, is, by, is by, you know, masturbation or just acting out. And that's how I became my own higher power. Uh, this goes on on page 13. You feel flawed and inferior. You have the sense of being a failure. No way that you can share your inner self because you are an object of contempt to yourself. This inner critical observation is excruciating. It generates a tormenting self-consciousness which Kaufman describes as creating a binding and paralyzing effect on the self. The paralyzing internal monitoring causes withdrawal, passivity, and inaction. I can't feel true love for myself, for you, because I can't feel true love for myself. I go through life just trying to get by, you know, trying to feel competent. To be severed and alienated within oneself also creates a sense of unreality. One may have a pervasive sense of never quite belonging, of looking, being on the outside looking in. The condition of inner alienation and isolation is also pervaded by a low-grade chronic depression. Then he goes on to talk about shame as false self. So it's, it's important for me to see what, what, what shame is doing to me. Um, and I've adopted a, a phrase or slogan that I want to share with you that, you know, there is no shame in recovery. I want to first say that, that anytime I'm doing recovery is a way that I refute my shame. I, I say that I don't believe in it, that there is a, a healthy uh, person worthy of love and integrity. Okay. Um, this doesn't get talked about too much, you know, but I think it's important to talk about because as I understand uh, it for me, uh, it becomes the core and it fuels my, my sex addiction. I used to think it was fear. I used to think it was abandonment, but, uh, but I came to understand that it had to do with the feeling of shame. Shame is a feeling that I am, you know, I'm not worthy. I'll never be okay. And if I'm never going to be okay, then what's the point? I might as well lust to my, lust my, my head off. So the more I, I lusted to relieve my shame-based loneliness and hurt, I'm, I'm, I'm changing uh, drank to lust here. The more I felt ashamed, shame begets shame. The cycle begins with false shame beliefs that addicts have that no one could want them or love them as they are. In fact, addicts can't love themselves. They're an object of scorn to themselves. This deep internalized shame gives rise to distorted thinking. The distorted thinking can be reduced to the belief that I'll be okay if I have sex 
work harder, whatever the addiction du jour is, right? The shame turns one into what Kellogg has termed a human doing rather than a human being. That speaks more of workaholism. But it also talks about not being able to feel what you're really feeling. In recovery, <clears throat> and we're, gonna, we're, we're, we're slowly moving from the problem into the solution here because we're 27 minutes into this thing. Um, so this is a mess, right? I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't sound good, does it? Because it, it isn't good. It doesn't feel good, right? So if you relate to any of this, well, the good news is that um, shame is a lie. It was a lie perpetrated um, by someone who may have uh, loved you or loved me, didn't know any better. And now I get to expunge it. Now, how does that happen? Well, for me, uh, when I was in eighth grade, I was bullied. And I used to, I was in Mrs. Fitz's English class. And uh, there was a guy sitting in back of me, his name was Peter. And he would take a dictionary and smash me over, smack me over the head with it uh, whenever he wanted. And Mrs. Um, Mrs. Fitz was sort of, uh, you know, she, she was... Um, not really aware of what was going on in the back rows of her class. And since my last name starts with an S, I was toward the back row of the class. And uh, I was too afraid, too ashamed to do anything about this. Now, you go 20 years later. I'm now um, a professional. I'm now a professional salesperson. Um, and I got into body, uh, bodybuilding and weightlifting and working out and all that stuff. Uh, in the hometown where I'm still living with my parents, they've taken the school, the same very same classroom where I was bullied, and turned it into a workout room. So now I'm going into this workout room, and I am acting in all this anger and shame and whatever that I had experienced as a child in eighth grade, the very same space. And I'm picking up, you know, I'm picking up dumbbells and barbells and throwing them across the room, you know, like, you know, like I'm just going to destroy this, you know, the, the, the shamed image, the, the, the perpetrator. That doesn't work. I didn't have the tools of recovery at the time, but I recognized that what that was doing was just trying to meet it on its own level and trying to get expunge it out of my, my consciousness. I couldn't do that. Um, but I got into working out because it made me feel uh, that I was stronger and better and so that I could uh, withstand some of the stuff. Um, a low level, low, lower level aspiration as it turns out. But um, there it is. You know, this thing, this feeling of shame has followed me in my, my entire life. It has followed me through marriage. It has followed me through fatherhood. It has followed me through the death of my parents. It has followed me into recovery. It has followed me through this amazing journey to today. Now, what are you going to do about it? <clears throat> um, you may or may not have toxic shame. You may experience shame differently. You may experience, you may have different philosophies on how to do this. Um, I'm going to give you one prescribed method. It is not the only one. It is just a suggestion. 
Um, I began working uh, with a process called creative visualization. And I began to use this in concert with the 11th step. Um, I kind of jump ahead here because what I, what I am feeling when I'm feeling toxic, I just have to get rid of this thing. It's painful. You know, when, when, when I'm in pain and there's no anesthetic, I just want to feel better. Um, so I have some choices. I could either act out or I could try to get, try to have some sort of spiritual protection or just some emotional protection, some psychological protection. So I began to, to do some visualization, uh, where I would refute my father. I would visualize my dad in the process of shaming me as a child or as a, as a, a young adult or as a, a teenager, uh, but usually as a child. And I would stop him and, it, and the, usually the conversations would get very heated. Now, when I say stop him, I'm doing this in my imagination. You understand my dad was not in the room. He, would, he had passed away. Okay. So, again, what that felt like was me feeling stronger um, and dealing with this through tremendous rage and anger. Um, I had to deal with the, this anger, this depression and anger. It was going to kill me. My way of doing it was, was, was through this process. It helped me somewhat. Now, I, I do not have a, a memory of sexual abuse. I do not have a movie moment. I feel sometimes as if I have been abused, but I don't know for sure. Um, I can tell you that I felt very, when I was growing up, I was very uncomfortable, had a lot of physical anxiety being around certain people, including my dad, but I never uh, at this at this moment, as of today, in market today, um, I could not reenact a memory because I don't have one. That doesn't mean that um, there hasn't been sexual abuse. It doesn't mean that um, for me that I'm um, that I haven't been sexual abused, even though there may not have been physical abuse. It could have been emotional. In a sexually dysfunctional household in which that was my family, my mom and dad did not have a, a healthy sexual relationship. Um, addiction finds you like a heat-seeking missile. That's one side of this. My, uh, for the first several years in recovery, I was dealing with, with the addictive side. As I said, as you get further into recovery, as you continue to deal with this, you know, more will be revealed. And what has been revealed for me was that the real perpetrator was this negative, withering, judging spirit is the best way I can describe it. That tells me that I'm no good. So that's a little bit of my story. Um, to recap a little bit, um, dysfunctional families, shame-based families are often uh, sources of shame. 
when we act out, we're putting shame on shame. Um, we talked about shame versus guilt. Uh, shame as toxic. That's how I describe it. Uh, you may have your own description for it. Uh, mainly guilt is regret. Toxic shame is I am undeniably and irredeemably undeserving of love of others or self. Uh, I am no good. And I'm, I was very good at hiding that. You know, people would look at me and say, well, he's, he's okay. You know, he just has some anger issues and he's an angry guy because this is my the, the jour expression, right? Um, but inside, I had a lot of toxic shame. When I came into a marriage, now we have a family system in which I have toxic shame. Uh, and now I have a decision to make. I had to cut it loose. Otherwise, it was going to in, inflict my daughter. It would just continue. We don't, have, we don't have boys in my family. We have one child. She's a daughter. I didn't want this anymore. And so I tried to, uh, as best I could, um, buffer my daughter from my sexaholism in sobriety. Um, but I felt ashamed of my acting out. And um, there, there has been some issues with, with her... Uh, view of herself. Um, my wife is not in recovery, so this is pretty much on me, um, and it's my business. Um, when I have conversations now with my daughter, I have a completely different way of talking to myself that involves humor, that involves light and love, and for that I'm very grateful for working the steps of the program, but I also recognize there had, a lot of healing had to take place. So now we're talking in, in solution terms. By the way, when you start getting into this, it's, 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 it's an interesting exercise to try to figure out what has been hidden in your family, because everyone has skeletons, right? Uh, I would not advise it unless you were dealing with your own shame issues and wanting to uh, and the shame cycle in your own life. But in my case, I, I went back and I asked my mom uh, certain questions, uh, and I had a very one, a wonderful relationship with my mom uh, as she got older, and, and uh, uh, I did uh, work things out for the most part with my dad. Like I said, we still have issues. Um, but I wanted to find out multi in a multi-generational sense, where does shame come from? Where do, come, where do people learn how to do this? Because you don't have to do this. You really don't. And that was a revelation to me. That I didn't have to be a caretaker of my dad's shame. I didn't have to be a surrogate. I didn't have to carry that weight anymore. Anymore. Um, you may have found it with a family member or with a brother or a sister or a mother. It doesn't matter. Here to tell you that um, you don't have to carry it. So that's what's been helpful for me. Um, there are rules and there are rules in shame-based families. In my family, we talk about stuff. We talk about our values now. Uh, we talk about how we see things. And, we, and to the extent that we can talk about things, we do. Um, my daughter is figuring her life out. I am just bearing witness for her. She's 
she's living with us and um, I don't have to control the process. I can just bear witness to it. That was for me something really important because I was just being a, a child of toxic shame. It was all about control. You know, um, control, manipulation of self and others so that I can get from you, you know, as they say in the essay, they're no friends and only take hostages. Um, yes. Um, I consider myself an egotist in reverse because of toxic shame. I was thinking, well, I'm a nice guy, but I'm just trying to feel good about myself. So it's not really manipulation, but it is. And I have to catch myself when I do that. Like right now, I have to surrender the right to perform. And I don't think I'm performing. I'm thinking I'm just kind of bleeding out here. Um, so what do you do? I think it, 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 it will be different for you as it might be for me. But I think that it's, it's more of a revelation to, to me to see that shame was really driving this whole bus of addiction. And that it was lying to me, my, this robotic, you know, image, this robotic recording in my head was lying to me all the time. You're not good. You're an idiot. I mean, sometimes the voices would, the words would come up like idiot. And that was just my dad. Or um, it wouldn't even be the word idiot. It would just be the feeling that I was not okay. That I would, that was never enough. I would never be enough, never be smart enough, never be good enough or articulate enough or any of that stuff. Um, I've learned in recovery that uh, I am enough. But first, um, I had to adjust my lens and I had to begin to see myself the way my higher power sees me. So I do that every morning when I wake up and I do, I, I say the first three steps. I say, you know, without you, God, I, I cannot be sober or sane. Um, without you, I cannot, but with, with you, I can be. Um, help me, uh, help direct my thinking. Help me to see my life, my food, myself, my direction clearly. So that um, I'll be responding to the, to the, to the chat because I know I've been um, talking and like I said, you don't want to hear me all, all hour. Um, I'll read. I'll read the question to you when you're ready. And, and sure, you, sure. you don't have to actually so, read it. Um, the good news is, so what's the good news? The good news is you don't have to live this way. Um, we may not get through all of this in this hour. We'll do our best. Um, toxic shame is a defect. It is a disease. I may not have put it there, but I know that it's hurting me and therefore I have to get rid of it. So uh, like, like Mark had described in his breakout about having an inventory and doing that, I do not have a, um, a sheet for you that I'm going to send you on, on this. But I can describe to you um, some of the work I've done to uh, say to myself, just to acknowledge the fact that I am a mystery. You know, I'm, I don't know. I mean, I, I know myself as well as I, as I, as I do, um, but my higher power knows me better. 
And my higher power has led me into this peculiar, unconventional life of being able to carry the message in prisons and other places. You know, I do a lot of stuff. And um, I've been in service since coming into the fellowship. And so I continue doing that because I don't want to get so, uh, I don't ever want to be so depressed or so messed up again with my own problems. I would much rather be helping other people with their problems. And that keeps me from thinking about my problems, see? So helping others is the cornerstone of our recovery. So I'm going to stop now and see if you have any, if you have, is anyone uh, hosting? I don't see if they have, but um, uh, I know that we have a couple of guys. I don't want you nodding off. Uh, If you have any questions, feel free. The floor is open. Thank you, Eric. Wow. Um, I'll be honest with you. I actually, this particular talk was, touched me way more than your first one. <laughs> I get the impression that you feel you did a better job with the first one. I actually really appreciated this one. I felt your heart. I felt you. The first one was more of a presentation. This was you. And I really appreciate that. And I'll be honest, I don't really have, I can't really relate to that shame thing. I don't really have that. But listening to you has brought up some memories where in hindsight, I'm like, wait, what? And it's, you know, ringing some bells. But And if I have a few minutes after this question, I may share them or not. But let's see. So we have a question from Lippy from the UK. Uh, I will try to read it. It's a little long. Hi, Eric. Great share. I feel like I have to come to terms with the shame of my disease by sharing open and honestly about the details of my lusting and acting out at meetings with my sponsor and with friends in recovery. I have a lot of shame about my weight and financial screw-ups, which I'm more open to the world to see and not just confined to the rooms. I can be comfortable with these things at my meetings, but how do I deal with it vis-a-vis the world? Would you mind reading the last part of that question again, Steve? Yes, sure. Um, I think the, the short, I think what he's saying is, that he has shame, you know, as far as, as it relates to his acting out, which he shares about openly in the rooms, and that, I guess, helps the shame. Um, but he also has shame outside of the rooms due to his weight and due to his financial screw-ups. Apparently, he's had a few of those, he says. And those are, um, those are things that are not just in the rooms. Those are shame, so to speak, with, from out in the public. So his question is, how do I deal with it vis-a-vis the world? That's a good, that's a really good question. And thank you um, for, for sharing. Uh, I, I, I very much relate that I've done things that I consider very shameful uh, in my addiction. And I shared those in, uh, in, in, you know, disclosures over time. But I also feel as if I, there's something wrong with me. And part of this is beginning to see myself the way that my higher power uh, sees me. That means like we talked about, you know, adjusting one's lens. Well, how do you do that? It's a process. Uh, for me, it starts with, again, understanding that if I go through life thinking or the day thinking that I know myself better than any living thing, I'm going to be cooked by noon. I know this. Um, there, I mean, I'm going to be, uh, uh, discontent, irritable, angry, fearful, all that stuff. 
because I'm not aligned with my higher power's vision for me, whatever that vision is. Now, you know, this may be different for you, and the, and the words or descriptions or ideas might be different for you. But I believe that everyone is, is uh, dignity, everyone has, is worth, as late John C. had said, no matter what we've done. And learning to love oneself, uh, that's, really the, that's really the bottom line here. Um, I'm an example of someone who had, to, who had to learn to love himself. And I'm still going through that. Thanks. Thank you, Eric. Uh, comment from Jeffo, thanks for your share. Makes me realize this is a core issue for me. Um, and then we have another question from JLV. Don't know what that stands for, but those are the initials. Uh, this is a long one, so let me try to say it without screwing it up. I have experienced the not enough. My brother was first of class. I wasn't. And told, why can't I be like my brother? Um, I was told I was like a green apple, needing maturity. He says all his life he was trying to make himself valuable in the eyes of his parents, his professor, his bosses. Um, at the moment, he's finding peace through meditation and trying to work day at a time. But there are days where he feels the shame and is wondering how he can overcome my questioning of my insecurity, which is now much related to his toxic shame. I'm trying to focus on the moment, but sometimes the outside pressure, work, family are still there. Any thoughts? I guess his question is really how do you work through it? Well, I also have a brother who's accomplished. He's a doctor. And he was the hero of the family, and I was the scapegoat. I was the, I was the F up. And um, I've come to this uh, amazing revelation that I'm just as smart as he is, and I can carry on conversations with him, see him as a person. Now, can I understand what it is to be a doctor? No, because I'm not a doctor. I haven't been trained that way. But I can talk with him as a human being. Um, and that's really, I think, where it starts, was, is, was just to recognize that I am worthy to begin this conversation with myself and to say that I am worthy and to repeat that. Even if you have to kind of grit your teeth and say, I am worthy of this, I am worthy of this. And if you can't, what happened for me was I kept getting lots of self-talk that was negative. It's like, ah, you're an idiot. You know, it's like, the, the, I, I usually refer to it as the, um, I won't use the, the, the vulgar term, I could, but I won't. Um, I heard this in an AA meeting. It's the fecal matter fairy. The fecal matter fairy kind of drops these fecal matter things on you, okay? And uh, it is, you know, you say, get the hell out of here. Just get away. Get out of here. Wait. Um, in literal conversation with myself, I've had to say, is this true? And how do you justify this? And usually the answer is no answer. You can't justify it because it really has no basis for justifying it. It's just a feeling. So I don't know if that helps. It makes sense to me. Um, Lippy says, thanks for the response. Um, and then we have an anonymous question. Can you share on symptoms of shame? What might be signs of falling into shame? I'm sorry, Sweet. could you repeat that question? You were you can were you talking about it. Just didn't hear it. Can you uh, share on symptoms of shame? 
what might be signs of falling into shame? Um, like I said, I, I, well, just to go back, what is shame? Uh, um, I guess the symptoms of shame could be depression, like, or wanting to medicate the shame. Medicate uh, aloneness, not having enough, not being just this God-sized hole. Um, that's kind of how it felt for me. Uh, in my addiction, I would, I would want to fill it up with pornography. Um, the symptoms can be depression, can be I'm feeling crappy, I need a rock, I need a drink, I need, a, I need porn, I need whatever it is that's going to fill up the God-sized hole. Um, you know, it, it will be different for everybody. There, there's there's uh, the causes might be different, will be different. But I think we all kind of understand what that feels like. Thank you. Uh, Jeff O asks again, he found the book, Healing the Shame That Binds You, on his bookshelf. Do you have any specific suggestions how we should work his way through it? Should he just start from the beginning, or do you have some suggestions on that? I think that I think you, you, you want to start from the beginning. This is kind of what I do with my sponsees. You know, we, we, we read the doctor's opinion. And we go line by line. And by the way, I'm also an SNN. Surprise, but I am. So um, I learned that exercise in SNN as well as an essay. So I'm a double winner. But uh, yeah, start from the beginning. Um, you know, I think I think you'll enjoy Bradshaw's take on it. Uh, unlike um, other writers on sex addiction, you know, he's, he's really focused on the solution, but he, but to, un, but to get there, you have to understand the problem and you will uh, relate to whatever source of shame, whatever, whatever shame means for you. You, you know, the, he goes over all the various sources. I went over some today that you may or may not relate to, you know, he's got, he's got more involved with that. The second part of the book has to do with solution and various exercises. Um, I've taken some of that and we'll wrap up with some of, with some of his uh, words of wisdom. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, JLV says, thank you and that your response helps. You're welcome. Um, that is it for questions. Um, I just want to quickly share on what you said. Um, like I said, I don't really have that experience so much of um, having that real shame and so forth. And I remember when my wife caught me um, a couple of years back and one of the first things she wanted to know was, why are you sex addict? Were you abused? Did your parents do something to you? And I told her, I don't know. And honestly, I don't really care. It doesn't really change me. Um, but it's interesting you sharing, uh, brought up a memory that's actually just one from just recently. Um, I was thinking about going into business with my father. It was more of a pity thing more than anything else, I think. I don't know. Um, and at one point before we, I suddenly had this feeling and I, and I had this memory of like, my father knows how to guilt me into anything better than anyone I have ever met. There is no way this is going to work. Um, and I remember going down to him and telling him, Dad, I'm sorry, but this is not going to work for me. And I didn't tell him why, 
But I still I remember that that horrible feeling of a telling him that, but also the other times where we had that that like he can guilt me. He knows what to say and what to use to make me do anything. Um, and I guess there is some of that in what you shared. I guess I definitely brought that up for me. So I really appreciate it. That was a really powerful uh, share. I really appreciate that. Um, and that's all we got as far as the questions go. So if you want to add anything else or it's up to you. Well, you know, uh, we're talking about uh, everyone's journey is a little different. I think that I can only uh, give you, share my experience, strength and hope, and that you take this on uh, as part of your recovery journey. Uh, we find different tools. You know, Bradshaw was one of these guys who popularized, and of course he was on uh, public television and uh, popularized the inner child idea when it was formative in the 1970s. He was taking information that, uh, that other psychologists and people in addictive treat, addiction treatment had done. So they, you know, he was popularizing a lot of these, these, these ideas. That's why you, you read, uh, if you read the book, you know, uh, you're going to, you're going to have a, a, a access, a primer access to all these things. I think recovery is, you know, it points you in a direction and then it's really up to you where you want to, where you want to take it. Um, I wanted to, to uh, let you know, I had to, at the men's retreat in Northern California in Ben Lomond, I did a, a workshop on six and seven, step six and seven, a couple of years ago. And we, we started by thinking of ourselves, of trying to, trying to feel where we are at the moment, where we're doing this exercise, where is our desired place of being? And what are the defects of characters that, that, we're, um, that we were, you know, uh, struggling with? And it was helpful. Um, and I began to write out some prayers in steps six and seven that eventually have become prayers that I use whenever, whenever I'm dealing with shame. And uh, it's uh, three minutes before the hour. So um, I'll, I'll just let you know that I have a lot of, when we talk about regret, I have a lot of regret about what, what shame has cost me. I'm 62 years old. I have about, well, hope God willing, about 10 more good years of work. Um, but I lost a lot of time to shame uh, about belief, uh, negative beliefs in myself that have kept me from doing what I, I probably or could have done or would have. There's a lot of could have, would have, should have. And of course, I can't go back and change the past. I can't improve the past. I understand that. Um, but I can learn from it. And, uh, I begin to put these principles in action in other areas of my life. I've been, I've been doing work with the underprivileged community here in Oakland, California, and just getting involved with that and writing and doing the stuff that I do in my unconventional life. Um, so this is a process of awakening, I think. And if you are, if you are steadfast and you continue it, it will not be painless. I guarantee you that. It will be painful, but it will also. But the pain that you will be going through will mean that you will be healed on the other side. And so, uh, with that said, um, this is really all about loving oneself. You know, it's um, through working uh, in my life through working with therapy with certain therapies. 
I am now working with a therapist who does rapid eye exercises and other stuff that is totally new for me and very much not in my comfort zone. Um, and there are days when I just feel in pain, but I'm getting through that. And I'm dovetailing this with the steps, dovetailing this with working the traditions as well. So here's the prayer that I came up. See how you like it. Um, here's my prayer. I hereby expunge, uncreate, retract, and banish the words you are mental and an idiot from my consciousness forever. I ask God to help me forgive myself for this negativity that has imprisoned me and robbed me of job and relationships with my family and friends and other opportunities and kept me from you. Please direct my thinking and being from now on and help show me the truth of who I am and what you want me to be. Thank you so much, Eric. Like I said, that was really heartfelt and touching to me. And uh, it's always great seeing you. You guys, uh, thank you. Around. Thank you guys for setting this whole thing up um, and for your participation and your your patience. I know I'm long-winded, but what are you going to do? Um, thank you for, for being here. And God bless. God bless. We love you just the way you are. Thank you. By the way, I'm going to leave you with uh, my email address just in case if anyone has any questions, you know, on the stuff that we've covered. Um, That's a good idea. I'll put it in the group. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Eric. Good night. Take care or good morning. Take care. Good night. Yeah. Just